Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's Word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Would you pray with me as we begin? God, it is a weighty thing to open your word. It's a humbling thing to to open it and to read the account of, of Peter and John that we're going to see here and to see their boldness in the face of a threat. God, help us to be thankful for their boldness and to seek you to give us the same boldness to proclaim your word no matter who's standing in front of us, what we're facing. God, we could not do this life without you. We cannot understand your word without you, and I cannot preach without you. And so, God, we ask that you would be with us here and now, that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive your word, that you would give me the wisdom, the knowledge, and the strength to proclaim your word and to do so truthfully. It's in all these things that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 4, where we were last week in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were headed into the temple. They were going up there to pray, and along the way they saw a man begging for money who was unable to walk. And instead of like most of the people probably did, maybe just tossing a coin and continue walking, they stopped and they looked at the man and they they treated him as a real person. They followed the example of Jesus and they healed him. And then they all entered the temple together and the man was walking and leaping and praising God and the people in the temple were amazed and they gathered around and they said, is this the man that sits out there that begs every day, now walking? And Peter uses the opportunity to preach the gospel, the gospel that that the Jesus that they killed, that they put on the cross, that they traded for a thief and a, a murderer, The one that God raised from the dead, it's because of him and it's in him and by his power that this man is healed and that they need to look to him and turn away from their evil deeds. They need to look to him in faith, believe in his name, and have their sins wiped away. And amazingly, 2,000 people, maybe more, did that very thing. Even though, as we see in the beginning of chapter 4, The religious leaders and the temple people tried to stop it. They came out and it says they were annoyed that they were preaching in Jesus the resurrection. And so they took Peter and John. Then that three little word that's so powerful in the scriptures, but 2,000 were saved. Many believed. 
They could not stop the power of God. They could not stop the gospel, and so it continued to expand. But then we're left with the question, what's going to happen to Peter and John? And that's where we are this morning in in Acts chapter 4. We'll start in verse 5. And we're going to see that there are these assembled. And the background of this is that that psalm we read this morning, Psalm 2. The nations are raging. People are assembling and conspiring together against the Lord. And here we have people assembled together against the anointed one. So we'll pick up in verse 5 and we'll read 5 to 7. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? So Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders who have assembled together. And that word assembled is significant. Again, there's that background of Psalm 2. It's not just describing merely the act of coming together. It's alluding to the fact that they are acting together, literally assembling together, conspiring together against the Lord and his anointed one. If we remember, the book of Acts is the acts of the triune God. That's what I tried to 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 help us understand that it's not just the acts of the Spirit or the continued acts of Jesus or the plan of the Father. It's all of those. The Father's plan here is unfolding as he designed through the Son's work, the Spirit's empowering of his disciples. And he's fulfilling Psalm 2 here. So for them to assemble together to put Peter and John on trial for healing a man, don't miss that. They healed a man and then we're proclaiming in, in the name of the one who healed the man, the gospel, and they didn't like that. And so they assembled together. And yes, Peter and John are standing there, but in reality, they are assembling not just against Peter and John, but against God, against the Lord and his anointed one. And among those who assembled together are the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the high, the high people of the temple, And then we see leaders like Annas, the high priest, who actually was not at that time the high priest, but was formerly the high priest. He was the priest before the current one, Caiaphas. But he continued to retain that title, to use its power and influence. He's actually the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And then we see Caiaphas is there, the current high priest at the time. And all the others among the high priestly family can you imagine the group that's here that's, that Peter and John are standing before? This is the who's who of everyone in the temple, the religious elite. These names should remind us of another trial that happened less than 100 days before this one. It's not the first time these individuals have assembled together, and it's not the first time they've assembled together against the Lord and his anointed. We see these same people assemble at the trial of Jesus. He was brought before Annas, then Caiaphas, and then taken to Pilate. And if we look back at that trial of Jesus, I want us to notice in John 18, we see an amazing transformation happened. Peter, after Jesus was arrested and taken to the high priest's house, follows them there to the courtyard and continues to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows. The same people gathered there, the same risks. 
denies Jesus three times. Peter was fearful. He was cowardly. But this time, he's going to be different. This time, Peter was different. And we'll see exactly how in just a moment. But getting back to the text, Peter and John are brought before the same leaders as the ones who crucified Jesus. But the similarities don't end there between them and Jesus. He had another similar experience with them, with the leaders, like they do here. Jesus was questioned as to what power and name he was acting and preaching in before, just as they're asked, whose name and in whose power are you doing these things? Jesus in Luke 20 This is what it says, Luke 20, verse 1 and 2. One day he was teaching the people in the temple, proclaiming the good news, and the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, came and said to him, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? It's the same line of questioning. And they're doing the same thing, right? They were in the temple, they were doing good things, they were preaching the good news, and these people don't like it. And so they come, and they question them, and they take them away. By what power and what name have you done this? And again, I need us to understand the this, what, what they did was a miracle, and they're upset about it. They, proclaim, they did a miracle, and then they preached the good news of the one who performed the miracle, and they don't like it. But just like Jesus in that story in Luke uses a, as a, that question as a launching pad to show the religious leaders that they're not really fearing God, they're just fearing people. Because they go on, Jesus goes on to ask them, well, who baptized, and whose power did, did John baptize? And they're like, well, we can't answer that this way, and we can't answer that this way, because people are going to revolt and freak out, so we're just going to not answer anything. He used them to show that they're not fearing God, they're not following God, they're just following the fear of man. And Peter does the same thing here. We see Peter, being different this time, is emboldened by the anointed one, by the Spirit, to be his witness which is what we see next in verses 8 to 12. So we've had these people assembled together against the Lord and his anointed one, and now we see the anointed one empowering and emboldening his people to be his witnesses. So read with me 8 to 12. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed... Let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved." It says here, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what's different between the John 18 passage and here. John 18, Peter is fearful. He's scared. He rejects Jesus. Now, before the same people, he's empowered by the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit, and he's bold. He says, you want to know, this is who it is. He's filled with the Spirit, and he responds. And he's different. In my mind here, his response, I don't know if this is right or wrong, take it or leave it, but I think it's right. Because his response, you know, based on on Peter's attitude throughout all of Scripture, his response to me has a little bit of attitude, a little bit of showmanship in it. 
So they're asking, in whose power and in whose name did you do this? And it's like a light bulb goes off, or Peter's just like getting ready to go out the gate. He's like, you want to know in whose power and in whose name this good deed was done? You really want to know? All right, I'll tell you. He makes a big deal. I'll tell you exactly whose power and name this was done. Who healed this man? Who I preached the good news in his name? Let it be known to all of you, everyone. You here, all of Israel, I'll tell anybody. It's in the name and the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Like, do you hear it? Do you, do you see that in the text? You want to know, I'm going to tell you. It's in Jesus, in his name, in his power, the one you denied, the one you crucified, that God has raised from the dead. He did this. He's the one. It's because of Jesus that this man who was not able to walk his entire life is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, the one you rejected, is the stone that Psalm 118 talks about. The stone rejected by the builders, but God has made the cornerstone. And he continues. He's not done. Peter might be a little long-winded. And just so we're clear... There is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven except this Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only hope of salvation for anyone. Do you hear what Peter's doing here? He's claiming that the gospel is the exclusive way to the Father, to eternal life. Not works, not following the law, Jesus. He is it. And just like they needed to hear it, sometimes we need to hear it again and be reminded of that, that the gospel, that faith in Jesus' name is the only way. Here's a summary of one commentator's thoughts on why the exclusivity of the gospel is important to remember and proclaim. The gospel, the good news, is exclusive. And while the world around us may think that that's an unloving thing to say, that how can you say there's only one way to God, it's actually the opposite. It's the most loving thing that we could say. Because to claim or to suggest that there may be another way to God is unloving because it's simply not true. In suggesting that there may be another way to salvation, you're withholding from that person the only way to life. The only way, the only source of life. So saying or implying that there is another way is false, and it's unloving. And it disrespects and diminishes Jesus himself. If there was another way, why did he die on the cross? Why would he have to do that? But even in Jesus' own prayer in Gethsemane before he's arrested, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. And he didn't get the answer. That's his... This is it, Jesus. This is the only way. The only way. If there was another way, Jesus' glory, his worth, and his sacrifice is diminished. And that simply cannot be. There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if you've never trusted in that name, then you don't have life. You don't have it. So today, look to Jesus. Repent. Do what Peter preached. 
Turn from your evil ways and have your sins wiped away. Don't be like the group that's assembled against the Lord and his anointed one. Be like Peter and John who are going to stand here boldly proclaiming the good news. Back to Peter's response here. It's truly amazing. Again, thinking about he's standing in front of those, those exact people that had his Lord killed. They were the ones that carried it out. They brought him to Pilate. They said, we need you to take care of this because we can't do it officially. It's the same people. But he doesn't hold back. He's not scared. He's not fearful. And the reason is because this is the plan of God for the spread of his kingdom to the ends of the earth. The people of the anointed one, of Jesus, emboldened by the Spirit, preaching the good news before all people, leaders, all Israel, anyone that's going to listen. I think it's amazing to take a step back and look back again to Luke, who also wrote Acts, and see how he's showing the fulfillment of Jesus' words. In Luke 21, 12 to 15, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds to not prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. This is happening here in Acts. Jesus said, they're going to arrest you. They're going to take you before important people. But I'm giving you that opportunity to proclaim the good news. But don't worry. You don't need to prepare beforehand. Well, how are you going to respond? I'll make sure to give you the words to say. I'm going to help you do it. You're not on your own. That's exactly what happens. They were arrested. They were brought before the religious leaders. They were given an opportunity to bear witness. In whose power or name did you do this? And Peter didn't prepare this monologue, didn't prepare this sermon. He gave them, the Spirit gave him the words and wisdom to answer his adversaries. And that last aspect, they're not going to be able to answer you or contradict you. We're going to see that happen next. They're not going to have any answer for this. So look at me with, look at me, look with me at verses 13 to 22, and we'll see the assembled have no answer to Peter and John here. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? An obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them, saying, against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. 
For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. After asking the question and hearing Peter's answer, the religious leaders were amazed. They saw and heard the boldness of Peter and John, two untrained, uneducated men, at least in their schools. They were fishermen. They were common people. They didn't have training in the scriptures like they did. Yet they're interpreting the scriptures. And the only explanation they can come up with to how this is is, oh, surely they were with Jesus. They must have been with Jesus. He must have taught them. Do you know what that means for us? To untrained, uneducated men, they didn't go to seminary, they didn't go to Bible college. You know what that means for us? We don't have an excuse. There's hope for all of us to be used in the kingdom of God. Those trained in the scriptures formally and those untrained in the scriptures formally. He used Peter and John, ordinary fishermen. He used Paul, who in our day, would have had a PhD. He used Luke, a doctor. He used Matthew, a tax collector. God does not have a list of qualifications to be used in his kingdom outside of one. Have you repented of your sins and believed in Jesus? That's it. If the answer is yes, you're in. You can be used by God, just as Peter and John were. There's no valid excuse that you can bring to not be a part of building the kingdom. Because just like Peter and John, it's not done in your power. It's not. It's not up to you and your skill and your intelligence. It's up to God and the Spirit working through you and working in you. As a side note for us there, they were ordinary fishermen, uneducated, untrained, yet they were used mightily by God. So after recognizing that that's who they were and, and seeing the man right there before them that was healed, again, we see they have nothing to say. Nothing to say in opposition, just as Jesus said they would. Then they have Peter and John and the man leaves so they can discuss what are we going to do about this? How are we going to handle this? And in their discussion, again, it's an obvious sign has been done. Everyone can see it. We can't deny it. They can't resist. They can't contradict what's happened. Their only course of action then is to try and limit the damage. They're in damage control mode. How do we limit the spread of Jesus and this gospel among the people? It's already started to spread. How do we contain it? So they threaten them. Stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, again, emboldened by the Spirit, respond with a real gut punch for the leaders. They basically, again, are saying, well, it's up to you, I guess, whether we should listen to you or we should listen to God. That's what they're saying here. You know, you decide, is it right that we listen to you or is it right that we listen to God? Which one should we pick? But we're going to pick God, and we're going to continue speaking, and we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. 
We've seen the miracles of Jesus. We've seen and heard his teaching. We've seen his crucifixion, and we've seen his resurrection. We've heard his command to go as witnesses. We've seen him ascend into heaven. And we also heard that he's coming back in glory and bringing perfection with him. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. You decide whether that's right or not for you. Leaders then threaten them further. But again, they have no answer to their miracle. They have no answer to the the spread of the gospel, glory being given to God. So they can't punish him. They healed a man that's obviously only something God can do. He was lame for 40 years, over 40 years, and now he's walking and leaping. What are they going to say? They can't say anything. So we started out with the assembled coming together to assemble against the Lord and his anointed. We see the anointed ones emboldened. We see the assembled again, not having an answer for Jesus. And now it shifts a little bit. We we see a shift happen as Peter and John are released from the custody of those who arrested them. And it's no longer the assembled against the Lord that we see, but now it's the Lord's anointed people are assembling that's what we're going to see here in, these, in this last section, verses 23 to, 20, or to 31. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. They go back to their own people. They go back to the church, and they report to them everything that had happened. And amazingly, the persecution and the threats do not lead to fear or slow the people of God, but instead it makes them more unified, more resolved to speak the word of God boldly. After hearing the report, they all together raise their voices to God. They're praying to God, and they declare and point to God's sovereignty. You created everything, God, which should give them encouragement, and it should give us encouragement. We are on the side of the one who created, who sustains, and who controls everything. What do we have to fear? They declared and pointed to what we to what we have been looking at this morning, the fulfillment of Psalm 2. That's the quote we see there. Those who are 
assembling together against the Lord and his anointed one, both Gentile leaders and now, surprisingly, Israel is assembling against the Lord and his anointed one. And they worked together, fulfilling the Father's plan to kill his holy servant, Jesus. But in their pursuit of killing Jesus, again, they fulfilled God's plan because it's through his death he was able to be raised to life, defeating death, to be exalted to the right hand of the Father, to then send the Spirit and send his people out with the gospel. All of that is them just praying and declaring who God is, what he's done. No questions, no, no God do this, God do this. The smallest part of their prayer is them asking something. It's only after we see all of that, God, this is who you are. God, this is who Jesus is. God, this is what we see your word being fulfilled. Now in light of this, they say, Consider the threats of those assembled against us who really are assembled against you and Jesus and give us boldness to speak your word while you continue to stretch out your hand and perform healing signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Again, we started this this passage with an assembly of those against the Lord and we end it with an assembly of those for the Lord, for his anointed. And it's this last assembly that truly fears God and not man. Because that's all the first one did. We can't do anything because the people. We can't do anything because look at how they're reacting. Not, should we do anything? Should God lead us to do anything? But that's all this second assembly does. God, we can't stop talking about what God has done. God is emboldening us to spread his word, to preach his gospel, to share about the resurrection in Jesus. That's what he told us to do, to go and be witnesses. Because they fear God and not man. And it's this last assembly that is shaken by God in a good way. Where they are in their prayers, God answers them and physically shakes the place they're at. And they receive boldness. They receive boldness through the Spirit. And they continue to speak the word of God boldly. Church, I think I've said it about every week in the book of Acts. If I haven't, maybe I missed one. But I'm going to keep saying it throughout the book of Acts. We have the same mission and we have the same Spirit as them. There's no difference. We are called to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, and we have been given this spirit, his spirit, to empower us to do that. We are to be the Lord and his anointed one's witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's our responsibility. That's our commission. The nations are raging The peoples are plotting in vain against the Lord and his anointed one. It didn't end here. We see Psalm 2 continually taking place. But if we remember the end of that psalm, the last line says, those who take refuge in him are happy. 
All those who take refuge in the Lord's anointed are happy. Because in him, and in him alone, is salvation. That's why they're happy. Because the anointed one of Psalm 2 breaks the nations, brings a rod against the nations, has his anger poured out against the nations that are against him. But those who are with him are happy because they have salvation. We need to remember that. Remember that if we are with him, we are happy. It's not easy because this is maybe the lightest persecution they're going to face the rest of the book of Acts. But we're going to be happy because we're fulfilling the word of God. So we need to remember this and we need to do just what they did. Ask God to give us boldness to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the good news to all the world here in Newton, in Harvey County, in Kansas, and to the ends of the earth. And if we will do that, if we will earnestly and humbly ask God, truly ask and believe that he will give us boldness, I believe he will. Why would he not? James tells us that we have not because we ask not. So let's go to the Lord now. Let's not have not anymore. Let's go and ask. Let's receive boldness. So would you pray with me? God, we are again grateful for all that you have done, for who you are, the creator and sustainer of all things. You are worthy of all things. You are perfect and you are holy and you are just. And it's because of your love that we are able to look to you, to have our sins wiped away because of the cross and the resurrection. So we are thankful for that. But God, if we're honest, we're more often fearful of man than we are of you. We're more often than not fearful. What are they going to say? What are they going to think when I talk about Jesus? It shouldn't be that way. So God, help us. Give us boldness to proclaim your gospel, to point the world to you. To know It doesn't matter who we're with, who we're in front of, what the threat is. Let us not stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard and what we've experienced, life given through your gospel, power in your spirit. God, we need you to pour it out on us again, that boldness. Awaken in us the power of your spirit and let us leave here proclaiming day after day your gospel, your goodness, that you died on the cross for the sins of the world and that anyone who believes in you will not perish but will have everlasting life. God, if we believe that, help us to shout it loudly because what greater thing could we say 
God, we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, we hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.